Hey guys, it's John again. We've got uh, got a good friend uh, on the radio, on the internet web talker thing uh, down in Oklahoma. I got Clay Blackheader on here. Um, and we're just going to BS for a while. He did me a favor. I said, hey, are you ready? You're open right now to do a podcast? And he's like, yep. Two minutes and he we're so here we go. So we didn't talk much. We're just diving right into this thing. So anyway, buddy, how you doing today? Doing good. How about you? I'm doing well, doing well. So part of the we we obviously talk off and on, but part of the one thing I really been liking about the podcast is like an excuse to go in like oh deeper than I would normally go on a on a phone call or that's I guess normal in this day and age. There's not a lot of I mean Rogan obviously there's a lot of long form conversation online and stuff but it's fun to uh get to know guys that i see all the time i, I mean i've i've known you for years i guess was it was the first time we met was up in canada you up at yep. that meford prs match yep that was that was my first year shooting just okay. met you right off the bat how many how many matches you shot by then that was either my second or my third one. That's awesome. So that way that was, I didn't know a lot of guys and I was, we're way up in North kind of, uh, Eastern, Eastern Canada, just over the border there from uh, like Buffalo, New York. And I didn't know Clay at all. And, and you and your, your, your wife came up there and you guys like stayed in a tent in the rain, just on a yeah. budget. And I, I freaking loved it. So <laughs> anyway, so let's, let's back up a little bit. Let's, uh, introduce your, well, what I'm going to say 2019 PRS season winner on the on the mic so we got that's a big deal so um you guys a lot of you guys that are in the sport obviously know who clay is um but I want to go back in time a little bit and we'll kind of go through your history and then we'll dive into what's been happening more lately so why don't you introduce yourself uh kind of where you're from and and uh we'll get into like maybe how you got interested in firearms and then and then I'll and then I'll ask more questions from there so already um I uh I've kind of been shooting, you know, or having guns my whole life. I mean, I grew up hunting. Turkey mm-hmm. hunting was my big thing. Um, I didn't like deer hunting as much. I didn't think it was as fun. <laughs> um, also, I couldn't shoot a rifle to save my life. Um, <laughs> awesome. I, uh, my dad, I remember this time that uh, we were with a quail hunting uh, buddy, and it was just about to be, you know, we were going to go on a deer hunt somewhere or another, and he uh, wanted to make sure our guns were shooting. So uh, I've got a 270, I lay down, and I'm shooting at 100 yards, and I'm shooting probably like a three or four inch group. And I'm like, that's probably generous. It was probably significantly <laughs> worse than that at 100 yards. Solid. And uh, um, I can't get it zeroed, like even remotely. So I asked my dad if he could shoot it, and he shoots it, and he shoots this tiny little group. Whoa. And uh, and he and he zeroes the gun, and then I get down there and shoot again. I still can't hit anything. And I'm like, just having an attitude as a kid. I'm like, well, it's cause you're left-handed and you zeroed the gun. That's why I can't hit anything. Uh, <laughs> that so sounds like always, Facebook advice. <laughs> yeah, it, it's obviously completely his fault. Why I can't hit anything. Obviously. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Um, I'm from a little town in Western Oklahoma, uh, called Leedy. Uh, right now I live in Oklahoma city. Uh, it's a couple hours east of where I'm from. And, uh, but you know, hunting deer was pretty much the only thing that I've ever did with a rifle. And I would say that I fired 15 rounds ish a year. Uh, my grandma would every single year, she would buy me a box of ammo for my birthday and my birthday (laughs) is always right at rifle season. So I'd go sighted in if you could call it that. And, uh, and I'd go hunting and I remember probably one of my worst hunting experiences. Um, when I was probably 12 ish, something like that, me and my dad and my brother were, uh, we're hunting where the match just was held. And there's a target that was on that. No, I don't know if you remember that troop line or 
scan back and forth. Yep. Uh, target four was on the knoll that we would always sit on the nice little bottom there in those trees. Okay. And uh, this the first day of the season. I'm again, I'm impatient, and uh, they're obviously <laughs> wanting to shoot something worthwhile. I see something and I want to shoot it, and I eventually convince <laughs> them to let me shoot at it. And uh, I've got my 270, and it's 75 yards away, I'd say, on <laughs> on the far side. Okay. And I miss it, and it goes nowhere. And I shoot again, and I miss, and it goes nowhere. And I shoot, I think, four no times, way. maybe it's five, um, and it goes nowhere. Like, absolutely doesn't move. <laughs> so I then I grab my brother's 30 out six, um, and I shoot once or twice, and I think the recoil is too much. So so I give it back. I put two more rounds in my gun and then I shoot it. I hit it right behind the shoulder. It drops. Like you think that it was a one shot kill, like from, you know, like from someone who knew what they were doing, but like so how like, I could miss a, a deer at, at 75 yards, six or seven times and then hit it perfectly. I don't know. Okay. Guys, um, there's hope for everybody out there. Okay? There's, there's hope for everybody. Dude, so, um, so pretty wily deer. It sounds like. Oh yeah, that would that would was meant to live a long time. I guarantee you that was gonna go head first into a truck in a week. Yeah, but exactly. Did not have the will to live. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, that's funny. But uh okay, that was so pretty much that was the only shooting I did growing up. Okay, okay. And then and then um well I'll save that for later. I was gonna talk about being competitive. What I guess what what shifted gears for you where you went from not really being interested or obviously shooting very well to, to being interested in diving in like you did. I mean, you've, you went, you went full bore wide open into this thing. Um, and you did it on a budget too, which is tough. If you guys are into the sport, you know, it's not cheap. Um, you, even if you just, if you already had your stuff, just traveling to matches and entry fees is expensive. So, um, I mean, you did it on a budget and you hit it hard. What, what, from from 12 and deer hunting you know your quail hunting turkey hunting and all that stuff what what started to change or how did you get interested in the what we're doing now uh after i got hurt in college and i couldn't play baseball anymore mm-hmm. um i uh you know I, I had a huge amount of time that i didn't know what to do with and uh, so i started doing other stuff competitively and i mean i owned guns. I had an AR, had a couple of pistols that I would play mm-hmm. with, but I didn't ever go to like three gun competitions or anything like that. I just had them, you know, around yeah. and, uh, a buddy that I played baseball with an American Legion ball. And then in college, his birthday was coming up and I hadn't talked to him in years. This is after I'd gotten out of college. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, uh, saw his birthday pop up on Facebook and I had a cool looking gun on the, on his profile picture. I said, Hey, that's a cool looking gun. Happy birthday. Um, and I didn't really expect to hear anything from the guy. And, uh, he replied almost instantly. And after talking for a little bit, he said, we should go out, check out this gun range that just opened. And that was Foulbore precision. So, um, went out there and shot his gun. He was a 308 of some sort and met, met Justin. And then Justin said he was having a match out there in a couple of weeks. And, uh, said I should come out there and it was the first one that he was going to have out there. So, um, I don't know. I, I sold a couple guns, bought an RPR and, uh, <laughs> shot like 200 rounds the day before the match, probably ruined the barrel <laughs> the first day I had it. Cause I had no idea what I was doing Just shoot it as um, fast as you can. I, I got to get these practice rounds in. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Got to get this figured out. And then I put 200 <laughs> rounds on it that day and I got so sunburnt Jeez. and, um, I, uh, I got dead last the next day. Had no idea what I was doing. Um, nice. And the bat, the only bag that I had was uh, it was a, a divider in my pistol range bag, <laughs> and I put it, and I put a t-shirt in it, and that's what I use for a bag for front support for for rear bag for for anything. Um, Perfect. But uh, <laughs> so I was really uh, equipped for that, and 
uh, immediately, like I just fell in love with it and I started Googling gunsmiths and I found Wade Studeville who lived 45 minutes from me and, uh, I sold that RPR, handed him a check, um, to get started. And, uh, six or eight months later, whatever it was, um, you know, paying piece at a time, um, he delivered a gun and, uh, I had a, had a buddy who gave me a a really good deal on a gen two razor and, and I started shooting and, um, I just, I, I went after it and he's like, you said on a, on a budget. I mean, yep. whenever my wife and I would go somewhere, we would stay in a tent every single time we'd bring bologna sandwiches. We'd bring milk in the ice chest cereal. So like we would do all of our meals, like, you know, in the tent, yep. in the truck, whatever, yep. um, and do it as cheap as possible. So the match fee for most people is probably the cheap part, but for us, the match fee was the expensive part. Everything else was, yep. you know, virtually nothing. Um, I love it. And, and uh, um, I don't know how this is early on in starting my first business and, um, we weren't paying ourselves at all. And, uh, those big money matches, the, uh, NAL RSA, uh, where they had the, uh, first place was like $6,500. Second place was 3,700. Um, and then it went down from there. Paul Reed won one or two of those things, maybe three. I don't know what it was, but, yeah. uh, um, I had never shot one of them and I talked to the guys that were putting it on and they said like what it was, it was, um, target at five, seven fifty, and a thousand and it had a, an electronic target that scored, um, okay. how close you were to center on each one of them. Yeah. And, uh, I literally had 40 rounds left and like we had, you know, accepted that I was done shooting for a while just cause we didn't have the money to do it. And, uh, I went <laughs> down there with like 40 bullets, um, and shot in the, the match is 30 rounds. If you make it to the, to the last round and I got second place, um, nice. And, uh, so that like, I immediately went and bought bullets, powder, um, whatever. And, uh, and kept shooting. So, I mean, I was going to be done before I even met you. Um, like I hadn't even been doing it six months and then that pretty much funded the rest of my year of shooting. That's cool. That's so cool. I love it, dude. I've, I've flown when I was getting into it. I'd, I'd still, I'd find some dirt, cheap, horrible flight. And then I would, Right, it's still expensive, but you fly in a rental car, and then I'd sleep in the rental car, <laughs> and I've, I've flown places with sleeping bags and tents multiple times with my little backpacking tents. I'll fly somewhere and just sleep on the ground. Like I did that a, a bunch until I started being able to just like split hotels and stuff. But it's like I got I was so anxious to do it, and it's like, well, I'll figure out how to do it. I just it's it's like it, I don't know why it's so addicting, but I guess from it's been interesting talking. I I was competitive. I played baseball um com- then competitive like slope style skiing and just always competitive and that's what i see um it seems a pretty common theme from a lot of the top guys is that competitive drive obviously you with baseball um did you feel like when baseball ended you had like a big like was there a competitive hole there where you're like what do i do with this this drive that i've got like is that what there, there was, I, uh, I filled it with, uh, some people know this, some people don't, but I, uh, I, I filled that, <clears throat> that gap with halo. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> and, uh, um, our, our team was sponsored by, uh, by monster and, uh, they would fly us to tournaments all over the country in Canada, things like that. Um, Dude, that's we were, awesome. <laughs> we we were very, very good. And I took it, we took it very serious. Um, wow. and, uh, so um, halo, and so, halo two, Xbox, halo three, uh, where are we at? Very, 
very end of Halo 2 is when we got competitive with it. Okay. Um, Halo 3 is the one where we started going through, uh, going to all the tournaments. Um, okay. Okay. Halo 2 is like we were just breaking into the competitive scene. Okay. Um, and uh, Halo 3 came out like just very shortly after I got hurt. And all of a sudden, instead of working out for however many hours a day and then going to the going to the ball field and taking batting practice, things like that. Now it's we're playing Halo. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. dude! I got hooked on that game so bad. It's it's my boys have it now. And we I've been playing a little bit. I'm like, oh, this was so fun. We were playing Halo 2 and Halo 3. So I freaking love it. Well, they I just don't make them like they used to. Dude, those are so we have to play sometime. So what, oh, yeah. what I got to hear about this. What did you get paid to do that or how that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we got paid to do it. Um, if you... I knew more then about how to network myself, we oh, could have yeah. made a, a real living at it. And um, there are a lot of people that we played with that signed million-dollar contracts yeah. um, with like Dr. Pepper and Panasonic and Red Bull and things like that. Dude, and e-gaming this... is out of control right now. Oh, it's nuts. Um, have you thought I about? Mean, have you thought about trying to do it again? No, I. I've, well, yes, but I, I don't have nearly the the time to dedicate to it. I mean, it's just. <laughs> it's almost like hitting the water anymore because there's so many yeah. especially now with like yep. the coronavirus stuff going on everyone's at home so i mean yep. how many kids are out there that have no responsibilities that are just oh, tearing yeah. it up you can um, compete, yeah. so yeah. I, I mean it, it'd be so much it'd be so hard to break into it now but no we always Dude, talked about like we that is cool. we had a really good opportunity we just if we'd have known more about how the world works we'd uh we'd probably be living on a beach right now Oh, it's, that's crazy. So uh, I'll talk about that later. People don't care about Halo. That's pretty interesting, yeah. though. <laughs> anyway, okay, so you went from baseball to Halo, and then um, and is 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 that? And then you rolled right, and then you went to Precision Rifle, or did you? Is something else competitive in between there? There was nothing in between there. Um, there were several years where I was just like, I don't really know what to do. I mean, like I I knew something was missing. I thought about doing just like you know, beer league softball stuff, yeah. but, uh, um, I mean, just throwing, I mean, I've had so many shoulder surgeries that just throwing is just painful. So, I mean, yeah. even something like that is just not really an option. Yeah. Um, and so I just didn't really know what to do. So I just worked really. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. pretty much well, that's all. what I did. I mean, I, I stopped with all that and I worked non six days a week for 12 years probably. And I just was like, well, I'll be competitive at work. And that's what I did. So, um, and then I started doing this again. I was the same way. I was like, wow, I missed that. Like I, I'd forgotten it or pushed it down inside. I'm like, I really like, I re- I love the competitive. I don't know what it is, but it just makes you feel, I don't, it's, I love how sharp you got to be or what I'm not, I don't even know how to, how to say it, but that's such a common theme with all the, the, the guys that, that are, that do well is dude, they're so competitive. It's, it's fun sure. when we like, we play cornhole or throw darts or do <laughs> anything because everything we do is like two bucks. You can't hit that. I'll be, I'll yep. beat you in this. It's just, it's that mentality. It's, it's, uh, it, I, it's fun. So for sure. Anyway. And people have talked to me about that recently. I asked how much I've been shooting. I was like, this past week was the first time that I've shot since the finale, unless you count proof in my match. Yeah. Um, because I'm like, there's no, like, I, I really enjoy shooting, but without the matches, it's like, you know, I, I'm not going to go miss a deer if I went hunting. So I don't really feel like yeah. I need to go tune up on something. So it's just, you know, my drive to practice and stuff completely went out the window. But that's interesting. That's it's, I totally know what you mean. I've been, we've been starting to shoot more and I had some friends come down this last weekend and I, and I try to, but it definitely is a different feel when you don't have a match coming up or you don't even know when the next match is going to be, you know, as right. this is recorded, we're kind of in the middle of, uh, 
I'm going to put it up pretty quick, but if in the future we're in the middle of like a, the coronavirus, COVID-19, I don't know if it's a pandemic or a disaster of judgment. Or nonsense. <laughs> I, think, I think it's an overreaction, but yeah. uh, I, I hope I'm right. Uh, anyway, so we're, uh, there's a whole lot of nothing going on right now. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been weird for me too. It's like, man, I, I love shooting, but then what do I love? I love the competition. It's hard. You get people will say things. They'll criticize you. You're just in it for the competition. You don't even if this. You don't even like shooting that much. I'm like, I don't, I love shooting, but it's hard to separate those two. But yeah, why am I gonna go? I'll go shoot a little bit, but I'm not gonna go shoot a ton and wear out barrels and 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 shoot a ton of bullets when we got nothing going on. I know the guns are set up. It's it's a weird. It's been a weird dynamic for me too because I'm busy with work and stuff. But it's. It's just it is almost wish that if if matches weren't happening, we could at least you know go back a couple months so I could keep coyote hunting. Something, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna do a 22 match at my house this weekend just to do something, have some guys come down. So um, I just want to compete a little bit. So yeah, anyway, okay. So what was the uh, what was your first caliber? What did Wade cut that gun in for you? Caliber six five forty seven. All right, that's a good choice. Um, so. Obviously, you met Justin, then you meet Tate, Austin, the whole crew down there. You guys have a, I mean, you're down in Oklahoma. You guys have a killer group of guys down there. Um, Rick Reeves and just, I don't want to, Quinn, there's new guys coming up. There's, I'm sure I'll leave somebody out, but there's, you got a big old slew of like super high end shooters. How did that, how do you feel like that accelerated? Like, was there any mentorship there or was just them being at a match? Did that accelerate your, your, uh, your process or what are your thoughts on that being around those guys? I think it was a big difference maker. I think it accelerated things quite a bit because I mean, you've probably gathered by now that I despise losing. So, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you, we've, you we've, go had some, re- we've had some discussions. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, uh, you go to a match and Rick Reeves is there and he wipes the floor with you 14 weekends in a row. I mean, it starts to really yeah. eat at you. So, and same thing when, you know, Austin Tate, any of those guys show up and I just, I hated losing. So any time that I would shoot something that I wasn't good at, I would go to the range the next time and that's what I would work on. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just kept on doing that until I finally beat Rick the first time. And then, um, then the next one was, you know, trying to, you know, beat Tate and Austin at, at whatever match that was. And, yep. um, I, I'd said this at, a couple of times before, but I had no idea how good these guys were on a national level. I just thought that they were, you know, just local guys that were just good. <laughs> yep. um, I didn't know that they were, you know, national, you know, yep. <laughs> top level shooters. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they've each won a, a title now and I had no idea what I was shooting against. It was just, you know, these are the guys that are beating me. And it's, it's kind of the same with everything. Like if you're playing baseball in high school or wherever, no, whatever sport anywhere, yep. like if you're, if you're good for your town, your area, whatever, it doesn't mean that you're actually good yep. at it. It's all perspective. I mean, sure. you go to college and now it's all the best people from, you know, wherever on that same team, then you go to the next level. It's all the best from those teams. So it's just, it's all relative. So I did, but I didn't have any idea initially (laughs) who I was around. Um, so I was very lucky with that, that the people that I was chasing were at the top. So it wasn't just, you know, trying to catch people just to be good for the area. It was catching people that are good everywhere. So, yeah, that's interesting because I've shot with enough guys that come, that come with the mentality from there. Maybe they're in a small pool, and they're the top of that small pool and they'll come in and they don't know anybody, but they're maybe come off a little arrogant. And then halfway through day one, there's a big slice of humble pie 
and and sometimes those guys never come back and it's and then sometimes it drives them to go crazy but i think being in i kind of got around some guys that were doing pretty good at the time um in oregon um and i i think i felt like it helped me a lot um just the idea that you could fly to a match. Like if I just was around guys that just drove to matches and did locally, it might be mentally, it might be hard for me to like, you actually get on a plane and fly to these things and you actually take this seriously. Like that whole, but instantly they're talking about, you know, well, you gotta, you know, they're talking about K and M and they're talking about core down in Florida and all these different, um, you know, these different places across the country, like, wow, this is so, this is crazy. But it was interesting perspective, I guess. It helped me open my mind quick to that. It was, it was a bigger deal and, and to take it seriously. And, and then also be able to shoot against those guys, figure out that they do well at those bigger matches and that, that I could hang with them. And so it was like, okay, well, this is, it's encouraging. I know I'm not going to be completely, completely humiliated if I go to a big match. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. I think that's what stops a lot of people from going is they don't want that feeling of, you know, failure, whatever it happens to be. And I think that's the biggest thing that people need to do is just show up. I mean, you're, no one's going to be the best when they first start Yeah. and everyone's going to get their butt kicked. It happens to everybody. Just, yep. just go. And the quicker you get over that learning curve, the better off you're going to be. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so what you went from six, five, 47, did you run that your whole for, for first year, second year? When did you switch to, I know you're running a six now. When did you make that switch and why? Um, I don't really know why. Um, cause that gun absolutely hammered. I mean, right now it's got over 4,000 rounds on it. And if I took it to a match tomorrow, you'd think that I just developed the load for it. I mean, it awesome. still hammers. Um, but uh, I wanted to try out a muzzle brake and a six millimeter. And I don't remember why I wanted to do a six millimeter, but um, so Wade cut a, uh, that six BR. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I guess I met you just a month or two after he had cut that six BR. Okay. Okay. I, I don't remember why I wanted to go that route. Oh, I, I remember I wanted to go to a, a dasher cause everyone was shooting a dasher oh, Okay. and uh, I'm sure he knew how, little I really knew about, uh, about what I was going to be getting myself into as far as fire forming and things like that. <laughs> and he talked me into doing a BR and I'm glad he did. Um, I mean, it, that gun was unbelievable and it kind of set me on the path of, you know, what I do now. Um, yep. but, uh, which we'll talk about uh, clay is runs uh, clay cartridge company. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. So I'm, you guys probably seen the shirts around stuff, but he makes some pretty, pretty good, pretty good ammo for your, for wh- kind of whatever you need. Right. Yeah, for, I mean, whether they're shooting a 22 Creed at Coyotes, or they're going anywhere up to, you know, 338 ROM or whatever it is for a, a big hunt. I mean, I, I do kind of everything just about every day. Cool. Okay, we'll hit that a little bit more later. So so I guess back, so the 6547, obviously you're learning. So not only are you jumping into the sport, you're also jumping into reloading. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I'd reloaded a very, very small amount. Um, okay. I had a... a a 338 Lapua. It was a Seiko TRG 42. Okay. And uh, don't ever do this, anybody <laughs> listening. Um, but uh, whenever I really had no idea anything, nobody taught me how to reload anything. Okay. Um, I uh, I was looking up loads for a 330 Lapua, and I started looking at people who had my exact rifle. And um, again, disclaimer: I did not know like what. I was doing at the time. Do not ever do this. But uh, I literally just copied. And pa- yeah, I just copied and pasted what I saw online. Okay. Um, 
as what this load was. And I, I just as easily could have just blown my face off doing that. Um, <laughs> but by some miracle, it was, you know, just magic. And uh, okay. I had the cheapest little scale. It's like a Rangemaster 750 or whatever it is. It comes with a rock chucker kit. And uh, okay. like you could probably drop a dime on it and the thing wouldn't move. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I would do and what I thought was really killing it was I was I think my load was 89 grains of H1000 um, at the time. Okay. And I would go to 88.9 and then I would drop a one kernel at a time until it would change to 89. And maybe that was, you know, 20 kernels this time. Maybe that was three the next time, but like (laughs) that's the only thing that I had to go off of. Um, that's awesome. And, uh, so no, I didn't, you know, that was, didn't really know what I was doing, um, with that stuff. And, you know, I've obviously loaded about a million rounds since then, but, um, steep learning curve. (laughs) Just dove right into it. It's kind of the way I do most things. I just go, hundred percent, you know, from the very beginning, I don't halfway yeah. do stuff, figure it out on the fly. No, I love it. So you had done a little bit, you done the three thirty eight. So you rolled in the six, five, you had a, you had a basic, a very basic understanding of, yep. uh, and primer I, powder, see, seating a bullet sizing that stuff. Yep. And I went, uh, I used it probably like a lot of guys have the precision rifle blog. I started looking at what primers people were using, what powders, you know, mm-hmm. why things like that. And, yep. uh, I had all that stuff, you know, bought and ready to go. And I went over to Rick Reeves house and, uh, um, he showed me a lot of stuff, uh, on, on how to develop a load from the beginning. Um, and I, pretty much didn't ever have to change that load. I mean, when I get a new lot of powder, I just pushed it to that same velocity, whether that was adding or dropping the charge. But I mean, that gun just absolutely hammered. Um, so I, and it's probably very fortunate that I picked such forgiving cartridge because yeah. if I had had any number of other things, I probably would have been pulling my hair out. Yeah. The six, five forty say, I tell people if you're like, if you're going to reload, I think the two best rounds to get into this game are six, five forty seven or straight six BR just as far as brass out of a box and easy, just easy. And there's That's others coming. Easy. I think GT, I mean, shoot, if you buy ammo from you, something like that, there's more easy options, but, um, those, the, those two calibers have been have, are just generally pretty easy. So, so I got a question for you on that. Rick gave you kind of helped you. Rick Reeves a shot ha, had shot the six five forty seven forever, yeah. and so I'm sure he's given you. I don't know what boy if he shoots the one forty hybrid with this much whatever. I mean, he's, and he's given you this is a place to shoot it at. I'm yeah. ge- I'm guessing so. Is what speed was that? Was that 2750? 2740. 2740. Okay. So that's a pretty common 2720, 2780 is a pretty common where everybody was. So what do you think in reloading? Um, do you think there's the speed nodes? Do you think that 2740 number is magic? And is that why when you switch lots, you just go right back to that? Or you just, I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? And what have you seen as you've also reloaded tons and tons of more cartridges? I think that if you've got a load, um, specific powder, specific primer, bullet, everything, and it runs a specific speed and you switch to a new lot of powder, I think that as long as you get back to that same speed, whether it's more or less powder, it's going to do the same thing. Okay. Now, if you switch powders, primers, something like that, go to the same speed, that's not necessarily going to be the case and probably will not be. Um, but as long as you're keeping um, 
you know, your product's the same mm-hmm. and it's just lots that are changing. I think if you go back to the same thing, it works in just about every cartridge. Okay. Um, there's going to be little tweaking back and forth with them, but especially with something as forgiving as that, I don't think you're ever going to have to worry about it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. So do you think the 2740 is a magic number for, because I've heard this, I mean, and it's hard because it is such a forgiving cartridge, but do you think that 2740 is a magic number across multiple, multiple 6547s, or is that more of a certain barrel length, or what are your thoughts when it comes to that kind of a thing? I think that if someone has a 6547 shooting 140 hybrids in that range and they're not having success, they probably got something else going on. Well, um, that's a first statement. It's, it's just pretty hard not to have that thing shoot if you're in that range. I mean, everybody was shooting 6547 at the time, mm-hmm. and you never talked to anybody running slower than 2720, yep. and you never heard anybody going over 2780. And yep. being from Oklahoma, all these guys, you know, talk about you know all the dust that we get into and the rain and things like that. And so they're always preaching, you know, don't don't run things hot. So we were always on the the lower end mm-hmm. of that that scale. Um, but I, I just. It. It just works in there. Okay. Okay. No, that's cool. So, so, okay. Cause I get questions like that and I do, and I'll switch lots of Argot and it seemed like maybe it was last year. I switched, I had a, a big lot. I had, I don't know what I had, maybe 30 pounds or 30, 40 pounds of Argot. So I burned through that over a year and a half, switched lots and it seemed a lot slower the next lot. And so I did, that's kind of all I did as I kept, kept loading up, loading up, get close to my old speeds that used to work. And yeah, sure enough, it's right back. And that's with the dasher, but right back, right back where it should be. But yeah, I do get a lot of questions about that and it's, uh, I don't know. So just go back to your same speed, start there. And then if you need to change it, figure it out, but that's a good starting spot. So, sure. So then, then you went to the BR, what are you running in that? 105 hybrids and Varget? I was running 105 hybrids and Varget. Uh, it was 4350 in the, uh, six five forty seven okay. um and I, and I ran them at twenty eight seventy five um and wait you ran just, your six b r at twenty eight seventy five yes wow that's screaming <laughs> i think I, I, is I it don't, i don't know i don't think so i mean a lot of guys around um that i've run into run them in the low twenty nines wow um, what barrel know, length? Like, <clears throat> i i ran a twenty four um Jeez. there's a guy from around here that used to run his at twenty nine twenty and i i ran into a buddy of mine um his name's colin he uh-huh. uh um he loaded up his six bo with my standard load that goes 2875 um and he tried that with his lot of argon he was over 3000 with his Whoa. straight six bo and i was like uh take all that powder out right now yeah just um, don't shoot don't don't let rain look at that or you're gonna you're gonna yeah, lock your bolt up don't even look at it wrong Dude, don't even look at it wrong. crazy um but if you looked at the brass you never would have thought that he was running that fast i don't know really? what was going on there but uh uh, he obviously ended up backing it right back down, but it just, you know, mind blowing how much difference there can be in lots, which is why I'm always yep. hesitant to, uh, to tell people, I'll oh, try this charge or that charge exactly. because I don't know what your lot's going to be compared to mine. Exactly. I think for BR, just broadly speaking, it seems like a lot of guys are right around 30 to 30 and a half grains of Argon. So <laughs> take, yep. take that for what it's worth. But I'm actually building the, was talking to Joe and I'm building the six BR. I'm like, man, I'm going to just, I run my dasher so slow. I'm still going to have a dasher, but I was like, cause I last match I ran my dasher, I was 2870 with a 105. So I was like, why why, not shoot a BR? (laughs) No, why do all the extra work to fire form? And if you're not going to do anything with it. So I'm, I'm all on board the slow train. Exactly. Right on. Okay. So now you're shooting, now you're shooting a BRA, right? Yep. Okay. So I'm, I'm not a BRA hater, 
but let's let's chat about that for a little bit. What I like my I I had a guy for, uh, Foreman BRA over here, and I'm sitting there looking at a BR case, and I'm looking at a BR case, and I'm like, <laughs> or a B, BRA, and I'm like, what is the point? Like, if I'm gonna fire for him, I'm gonna blow it out to a dasher. But it, like they look to me, it's like it's so, such a small difference. What what do you really think you get out of it? I want to know. So dimensionally, yes, it it looks very. It's a lot closer dimensionally to a BR than it is to a dasher. Oh, for sure. But but <clears throat> and, and I'm not uh, gonna have all the answers on this. But that's, uh, right. that's what this um, for BS. There's <laughs> <laughs> you get a lot closer to dasher numbers out of a out of a BRA than you do to a, a straight BR. Um, okay. Whenever I first got the BRA and I was curious to see what it could do, um, I uh, and I was never going to run it at this, but I just wanted to know what it would do. Um, I was running 10 round strings at 30, 30 without any issues whatsoever. Um, Dude, that's insane. Um, people don't try that. If I do did not, that with my dasher, I was over. I, I loaded it uh, three twenty. I was at 3,010 in one barrel and it shot good. And then one time it, it sprinkled a little bit and I couldn't open my bolt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's obviously not a load that I was going to run, but I just yeah. wanted to know like what, cause like the BRA, as far That's as like crazy. our game was, was brand new. I mean, yep. me, Tate and, uh, um, another guy, um, all got him, Craig, um, all got him done at the, uh, at the same time. Okay. And I, so I mean, there was no data like out there for us to go off of for yeah. the PRS world. Um, and so me and Tate were just like, let's just see what it can do. Um, and we wanted something that was closer, you know, to a dasher, but still have the full neck of the BR. And that's why yep. we went BRA. Yep. And uh, we were both running strings. I think he ended up at like 30, 20 when he stopped, but I just Jeez. kept going and I ended up at 30, 30 and it just, it wouldn't go faster than that. I put more powder in there, but it wouldn't go any faster. Um, wow. And then uh, what barrel and then length I, on those? It was a 28. Okay. Uh, I run 28s on all my yep. BRAs. Um, and, uh, and then I backed it down a hundred feet per second, um, and, uh, settled at 2920. And I shot one of five hybrids there for, Jeez. for quite a while until the, uh, until the A tips came around and you could pour water on it. You could, you know, soak that barrel in water and it would be perfectly fine. That's um, amazing. Which, you know, again, looking at the difference in a BR case and a BRA case, you think there's no way that that's possible. No, no um, I say there's no way, but I just, it's just, when I, look, when I look at it, I'm like, not a chance, but I don't know. It is, it's interesting. That's why I want to talk about it. So that's, uh, that's cool. And so you've been running, now you're down to, now you're down to the A tips and you're running those a little slower ballpark. Like yeah. Um, 20, I, uh, in the 27s or 28s? Uh, it depends. Um, okay. the finale I shot at 2775. Um, okay. I shot, I shot matches at, at 2850 at some point last year. Um, okay. but the finales I shot at 2775. Um, the, the same charge that I typically use, um, I shot this week and, uh, it was a 2820. Um, it shot great. I probably won't change it. So, yeah. Yeah. um, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I mean, if it, yep. if it works there and there's no pressure, I mean, there's no reason really for me to go up or down with it for sure no that's awesome i think i get guys will call and like man i'm getting into this game what should i do i'm like honestly i don't know how you could beat the 6br if you're going to reload like just it's very it, hard to. it's very so hard. it's so easy and then and then if you get more advanced and you want to work on for doing some bra or a dasher or brx or play with that kind of stuff by all means but 
it's hard to it's hard to screw up a BR or BRA case. I mean, hard to screw up a BRA case. You put a BR in and pull the trigger, and it's a BRA. So, <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's not not a whole whole lot different. But anyway, that's awesome. So you've been are, you have so this is a this is a thing that plagues. I don't know if it plagues you or not, but it plagues me for sure. Is I'll get a dasher. And then it runs good. And I'll get another barrel. It runs good. Well, now I'm 10 barrels deep. Oh, well, this is just easy. I run it. I generally was running mine around, you know, 32 grains or whatever. And 2920, 2940, somewhere in there. And, it was like, and then, then the what if starts entering my head. What if I ran a, you know, a 109 or guys running the 110 at 3050 in a six creed or or 3,100 and you start to have, you start to run numbers on paper and you start to look at stuff. Um, does that creep in? Do you like, like, I want to play with an XC or a 647 or, or a GT or what what are your thoughts on, on that? Are you just, I've got a BRA and I'm not ever going to think about it again. I'm never going to think about it again. Um, I love it. (laughs) Fairly early on in 2018. Um, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to play with numbers here. And so I had a six Creed done with the full intention of running 110 JLKs as fast as I could without, yep. you know, breaking a case. Yep. Um, and I shot my first, I don't know, 20 or 30 rounds down the barrel and it was hammering. I mean, just one hole in at a hundred stacking them. Um, and I was, um, just loving it, um, as far as how I was shooting. Yep. But the more I thought about it, I was like, it kicks. Like what, what, like, is that, is that really worth, you know, is the extra recoil really worth what is going to happen on paper? Because there's more to it than just like what it says on paper. Um, And that's what, (laughs) that's what a lot of people don't understand is like, you know what, this bullet going at 3000 is way better than your same bullet going at 2850. I'd argue that, you know, until we're blue in the face because sure your bullet is going to get there faster. And yes, you're more likely to, you know, not get pushed off on a lesser wind call. Yes. But if we make the same wind call, it doesn't matter if I'm holding six tenths and you're holding four, it makes no difference whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and if we make the same adjustments from, from misses, things like that, that's, that's all fine. But I'm going to have a significantly easier time making those adjustments. Cause I'm not going to have to fight to get back on target. Mm-hmm. My bullet is not going to hit as violently as yours and shake that plate to where maybe I'm not entirely sure what I just saw. Yeah. Um, I can watch my bullet fly. Um, and there's so much more information than I gained from that than you're ever going to gain mm-hmm. from beating me on paper. Oh, dude, that's and it's so hard to it's so hard to learn that until you're in the middle of it. Until it's an incredibly and, hard thing to to tell people, like because it just it doesn't make sense. Like no. two plus two is four. Well, if I have three plus three, I win. Like that's it. Just but it just doesn't translate that way. Yeah, for those of you that are listening that that don't know the the PRS and the NRL, the two leagues that we compete in the most, have a speed limit of thirty two hundred feet of second and a thirty caliber and smaller. And so why isn't everybody running 300 ultra mags with 215 burgers at, you know, you get the best BC and the best numbers. Well, you know, that obviously doesn't work because we have long shot strings and some awkward positions where you'd never see anything because of the recoil. So then we start coming down and well, sixes don't recoil that much. I can run a six Creed at 3150 or a, or a six SLR or a six comp match or any of these bigger six calibers or a six XC or run it at, you know, 3075, 3050. 
and you run all those numbers and I've been to, that's why I've owned about every six mil there is because I kind of learned the hard way. And then you start slowing down and slowing down and you realize like, I don't know. It's the, it's so many things. I th- I like what you said about, it's not just the lack of recoil. It's, it's, I like what you said about the, uh, the violent, um, the violentness of a bullet hitting the target. Like, that's a that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about as as much, but when you hit edges on targets, you can watch them twist. If you hit them going thirty two hundred, violent splash and it's ripping. Well, you hit them a little slower and softer. It's you can see it rock better. That d- does make sense, and I've experienced it a million times. I just hadn't thought about it as much that way as just as just the bases are just seeing more. But um, that's uh, I I just I don't know. I it's it's so hard for people to learn and I hope we've talked about it a lot on here. Jake obviously was a proponent of that running. I mean, he started years ago running a 6XC at like 2850. <laughs> wow. 29 I don't know if he 2900 maybe. I mean, he just ran that thing so slow and then he just ended up casing down as the BRX came out and and now he's kind of staying in that BRX dasher realm. So um, got the cartridge to match the speed now, but he was ran slow forever. And so I hope you guys, as we talk about it more and more speed, doesn't win always. It, yes. Every once in a while it can help in some crazy, terrible, windy situation. Yes. But on average over the year, consistency is going to win out slow. I think slow and steady wins the race. So hundred percent. I, I like that. So, um, let's talk about, um, well, shoot. Let's let's go into okay. So you go. I meet you in Canada. First couple matches, you're getting into it, um, and then you also the next the time I ran into you, I think was you traveled with Austin. Um, where was that match at? You traveled with Austin to a match, and Jake, you and Jake and Austin, I all stayed at the same hotel. I was at the Nebraska. Oh, the first time the Nebraska had that NRL match. Okay. Um, okay. So then that, yeah, was Chaz's that that match. year? That was the next year. That was the next year. We actually shot together at the finale that same year that we met in Canada. That's, oh, that's right. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> okay. So, so then we, let's see, finish your first year and then you ended, where'd you end up on your first year when I met you in Canada? Kind of ballpark. 40 something. 40 something. Okay. So now there's a glimmer. You're like, Hey, there, that's pretty good. Top 50. That's you're getting fired up. And then you roll into year two. What's your thought process going into year two? Year two, I was hundred percent. I'm finishing the top 10. There was no question in my mind that I was going to figure out a way to do it. Okay. Okay. And then, and then are you looking at match schedules and figuring out, you know, how to go about that? Or what are are you picking and choosing certain matches or just anything you can get to? Not at all. I, I like to beat the best when they're at their best. That's yep. the way that I approach things. I don't cherry pick matches. I don't go try and find points because, yep. oh, there's this match over here that all these people are going to go to. I'm going to go to the opposite side of the country. I don't yep. I do not do that. I go to what I think is going to be an enjoyable match. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time when you're traveling with guys like Tate and Austin and Rick and Justin and Colin and Quinn and all these guys, it, it, you don't get a freebie that it just doesn't exist. No. I mean, when, when, when all your travel buddies are at the top of the, of, at the exactly. top of the game, there's no freebies no matter where you go. So, yep. um, yeah, we go to what we match, think. You guys had a match of five people and it would be equally difficult. <laughs> yeah. And so we just pick what we think is going to be a good match. Cool. Um, and whether maybe it's the train, maybe it's the match director, um, whatever yep. it is, but that's how we pick our matches. Okay. So you roll through, you roll through year two. Um, I know how you finish obviously, but what, what, um, th- that was the finale. Was that Texas finale? 
Yep, that was Texas. Okay, and then you, where, where, where did you finish exactly? Eighth, Eighth place. So you made your top ten like yep. a champ. So, so then now, last year was. I mean, that was last year was your third year then. Yes, that's working awesome. And so then, then, then now you're hungry. Now you're gunning for the top. And so walk us through that year, kind of what you're. Obviously, I know you. I mean, you said you're like, hey, I'm I'm going for the bullet. Um, major goal. And then, how many masses did you shoot last year before the finale? Um, I'm gonna say seven, six or seven, six something or seven. like that. Okay. Uh, I shot Lone Star. Mm-hmm. And then I shot K and M, Punisher. Um, okay. And so, Hand, yeah, it's hard to remember. <laughs> that's three. Then I went Hornady PRC is four, MPA five, um, and then I guess the California match I went to would have been six. So I guess six. I might be missing one in there. Um, okay. Cool. But either, either six or seven, whatever it was. Six or seven. Okay. And then you roll into the finale. What place were you in going into the finale? Uh, somewhere between five and eight. I five, don't remember yeah, what it was. Okay, that's what I was thinking. We're we're also tied in there. It's hard to even yeah, keep track of where you were. Yeah, it was. We were all the top. What the top? And it was separated by like three or points or something. Like fra- yeah, points and fractions of points separation. So it was a tight, tight race. And so the way the finale works is the winner gets. Uh, they weight the finale forty percent. I think of your season points. So they weight it heavier. So, um. Anyway, so you go into that match. Uh, we obviously shot together. You burned it down, especially. Well, day one was uh, was okay. Day two, the, the day, first day four two. stages of day one, we all thought I might be going home. Uh, real no, quick. We, all, I felt this. I was like, God, I'm, this is ridiculous. I was, I was in the same boat as you. So we had some. There were some tough, hard. You couldn't even see some of the long range stages, mirage wise. You're like, I'm shooting into thick steam so <laughs> anyway so anyway day one whatever it was we were okay we we're all hanging in there and then day two you had an absolutely ridiculous day on uh, and and burned it down for the win what did that what did that kind of feel like for for guys wondering like how did uh how'd that day feel um for a long time it felt like it wasn't going to be enough because i'd put myself in such a hole mm-hmm. um and but i was like the only thing i can do is just you know, keep on shooting. And I think after the first, the first stage was that bus that we shot the yep. second day yep. and that ate my lunch at the, the May K and M match. Mm-hmm. And uh, I cleaned it and I got off the bus and I looked at Justin. I said, I'm going to win. I'm not missing today. Um, nice. and, uh, it just kind of went that way all day. Yeah, um, you pretty much didn't miss the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, you're like one it, shot or two. You had a, just one of the career days or watching like dude cleaning everything. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those days where you make the right wind calls and the wind doesn't change on you. Yeah, um, and it. if you're a little bit wobbly, you break it at the right point. It's just one of those days where everything yep. goes exactly how you draw it up. Um, yep. and everybody that's at, you know, at the top knows that it does take some luck to win these. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, there's plenty of shots in there that, you know, I could have done the exact same thing and just got blown off target. Yeah. Um, I mean, it happened, happened to people, um, all the time. Um, happened to people in our squad before and after me. Yep. Um, yep. just sometimes it just doesn't hold for you. That's the um, way to go. But you held, I mean, mentally though, I mean, that, that is true. And there's a lot of, when you get the very, the upper, I don't know whether you want to call it the upper, the top 10 guys, the top 20 guys, wherever you want to throw the number, doesn't matter. There's, there's uh we all know, like, I, I love a little bit of luck on some of those stages, but 
there's also a mental aspect there that I feel like you're pretty strong at. And so you kept your, you kept your focus after a bad day on Sunday or Saturday. And that's, that's where a lot of guys, I loved, I I love two day matches because anybody in my mind, I think anybody can win one day. There's that the the to keep it together for two days shrinks that field by a giant percentage. The pressure I know so many guys have been the lead on day one, and just listening to them talk. We'll go out to dinner Saturday night, and they just they've lost in their head before Sunday even starts. They're yep. it's you know so I love the two day and I love that that pressure. How much of of keeping keeping that focus or pushing hard came from, from baseball and, and, and maybe, you know, even from halo and that kind of thing, like the, the tournament setting, where do you think that, where do you think that got so strong in you? I think all of it plays a part. I mean, if you're playing in, you know, state tournaments, things like that, or, or, you know, you're, you know, flying to these national events and there's a lot of big stuff on the line. Mm-hmm. Eventually it just becomes part of your day it's not something special that you haven't experienced before i mean mm-hmm. some people are good in it right away and um some people it takes them all to adjust to pressure situations mm-hmm. um me it was one of those things that just that it never bothered me i typically did better when the pressure was on mm-hmm. um than i would on on an average day um so um to me it was just kind of another match i just wanted it really really badly yes. um but uh, the hardest thing I think in a match like that, especially when you're shooting next to all the guys that are closest to you and score, um, is not paying attention to what they're doing, whether good or bad, Mm -hmm. not paying attention to it because you can watch the guy in front of you clean it. And then you think, crap, if I don't clean it, I'm dropping behind. Or you watch him get a a five out of 10. You're like, Oh, they only got a five. Like I'm going to, you know, pass them right here. And then you, I mean, just little things like that are enough to make you lose focus. And you know, you drop a shot here, you drop a shot there makes all the difference in the world. I mean, I, I bet if we went back and looked at all the PRS matches from last year, mm-hmm. I would be shocked if more than 10% were separated by more than two points from first to second. I mean, yeah, each shot matters. Yeah. They're very, not, not very counting close. your, the one that you shot in Canada. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we'll throw that one out. That one just threw through and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it depends on, like you said, I wasn't traveling with five guys that are killers up to that match. So it's, it's, it's the stacked matches are absolutely when you got, when, when we all show up, it's always a battle and it's always tight. So it's a weird sport, man. It's, it's a different sport and it's like, okay, how do you make it harder? Do you put tiny little targets and put them further away? Well, that doesn't fix it either because then you inducing, you know, that luck element more like, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting spot. I, no one's cleaned a match to this, to the, up to this point. So we're still, we're still most matches are won with an 80% hit ratio around that. So it's just guys are getting better and better and better. And those, there's just less room for mistakes. So I, I think you, it's going to, without making it goofy, I think that to, start separating people more. You're going to have to have more targets per stage, um, bigger spans between targets. So it's not just, Oh, there's two targets right beside each other's, you know, no big deal. Um, I think that you're going to have to incorporate a lot of, a lot more transitions, different distances on, on anything that you're shooting at. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, the thing that you have to look at it, you know, people talk about, you know, but it's just like any other sport. Well, it's not, I mean, it's not, hockey it's not basketball i mean you can go anywhere in the country and you go sh- you know try to shoot a three-pointer you're at the exact same distance shooting at the exact same goal with mm-hmm. no environmental factors whatsoever it's just you yep. and the rim yep. and that's 
we have to rely on our equipment. So even if like we were shooting laser beams, which we're not, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's more that goes into play. I mean, we're not all shooting in the same conditions across the country. We're not shooting at the same target sizes, things like that. Um, yeah. so there's just, there's a lot that goes into it. So I don't think there's a, a perfect answer on how to make mm-hmm. scoring, you know, exact all the way across. I think that, um, some of the changes that have gone on the past year or so have made big strides to, to making it like that so that people can't cherry pick as much and yep. things like that. But, yep. um, as far as making it harder and, you know, making scoring work all the way around, I think it's just, I kind of went on a tangent there, but I think it's just no, going to be virtually impossible to, to fix everything. Yeah, it's hard. I think we're getting closer. It's, I mean, you hear like the Tyler Payne arguments come out. It's let's go, let's go fast. And and, and then instantly I'm like, yeah, let's go fast. And then I step back and I'm like, well, it is nice to have a half a second. It's nice to watch trace and watch your bullet land. If we go too fast, we're going to lose. This is precision rifle. And so I don't know where that sweet spot is. I think we can go faster than we're going. Um, but I also don't want to like time plus where it's like, Hey, if you finish and I shot a USPSA match, I'm new to new to all that. But it's like, I shot alphas on almost every target all day. I think I had like six Charlies or something and everything else was alphas, hundreds of alphas, but I didn't do it super, super fast. And I looked at, I was down in like 10th out of a hundred. Well, if I would have just gone faster and thrown up like Thir- left 30 more alphas off the, you know, my chart, then I'm competitive. I'm like, I didn't know how scoring works. Like, I don't, I want to shoot the best. I want to be the most accurate in precision rifle. Yep. And so it, it's definitely a strange, I, I, I think the faster you go, all you run into is did the wind hold or not? Because like, I, I like watching a bullet fly, seeing what it's do, it does to the target, um, correcting yep. for that. And then at the same time, seeing what's going on around you, did the wind just change? Did it pick up? Did it stay the same? Should I send the same shot? I think when you start speeding things up, you lose that aspect of it, of making your, you know, on the fly changes to, mm-hmm. to make the best shot that you can. But there, just be- but there, where is that line though? Because if we, if, if a, if a bench rest or an F guy, F class guy came to our sport, they're like, why are you shooting a stage in two minutes? That's insane. Or, I mean, I don't know F, I don't want to throw F class or bench rest on the bus, but I've shot some bench rest matches and they do shoot fast, but they got lots of prep time and lots of ciders. And once you're for record, you do shoot fast, but you're off a bench. So it was just an example, but you know, all things being equal, we used to think three minutes was fast and now, or you know, a while now we think two minutes is a little slow when we're doing 90 second stages. So I don't know where that sweet spot is, um, you know, for, for speed and stuff. But I, I think it's, you know, some of the leagues have gotten rid of, you know, KYLs where you can't lose points and, and some things like that, that can kind of keep matches, from you know big changes happen where it's generally it's one point per hit so the most consistent shooter over the weekend wins and i think there's a lot of stuff going on. i think match directors are getting better too of understanding what's what's feasible and what's you know what's too hard what's too much luck what's too easy and so no one can separate i think match directors are getting a lot better at that so um anyway what's uh let's talk about um let's talk about your company your clay's cartridge company um You've been, you've been, you started that up last fall. 
is when it got um, I think the official announcement was middle of June. Um, okay. It was actually the, the weekend of the Punisher was the official announcement. I'd been doing some things for guys um, for a while before then, but as far as doing it for other people and advertising it, um, mm-hmm. middle of June of last year. Okay, um, cool. But uh, um, it started with me just loading uh, ammunition for for people, you know, using their load, their components, their everything, and basically just being a glorified copy and paster. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, depending on how much time you have in the day, things like that, you know, what you'd rather spend your time doing. I mean, it's it, it's worth it for people to just have that done for them and know that it's done right. Yeah. Um, everything that I load is to the kernel or I don't send it out the door. Um, cool. And with whatever caliber I'm loading. Um, but uh, I have, you know, what you could call factory loads for um, six Creed, six, five Creed and six GT, I mm-hmm. guess six BR as well. Um, and those are things that I send out, um, fairly off. That'll be boxed up, ready to go sitting on the shelf. Um, cool. and, uh, but <clears throat> the side that I, you know, another side of it that I really enjoy is doing load development for guys. And a lot of people don't know that I do it mm-hmm. and I do it for competition calibers, obviously, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of guys send me their, their big magnums that they're going to be going on a hunt with. Um, they got a once in a lifetime hunt and they want them to make sure that their gun is going to hammer. So they send me the rifle. I break it in. I do load development. I get them data. Um, cool. typically I'll have their Kestrel as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I'll have everything in there. So really all they've got to do is just get a new DA reading, a wind call and send it. Um, but, cool. uh, uh, you know, these rifles, whenever they leave me, obviously, just because you don't know before they send it what they're actually sending. I mean, a lot of people think, oh, I've got this awesome rifle I'm going to send you, but maybe it's a, you know, a $300 rifle. Well, that they I got was going to ask, well, what if somebody um, sends you an old, what do you do with some of that stuff? Um, but what I tell them on the phone is that all I'll guarantee you is one MOA, but in all likelihood, what they're going to get, and I haven't let one leave yet, um, that doesn't shoot at least a quarter minute. Um, okay. and if it won't shoot sub five inch groups at a thousand yards, I'm going to keep on playing with it. Um, that's just the way that I approach things. I mean, some guns, I'm, I'm going to get a gun eventually a combination that just, that's not going to happen. Um, it's just the, the odds yeah. of that always working is not going to be possible because you don't know what gunsmith is doing the work, what components were used, so you're, things like that. You're mainly but, getting custom guns cause you're not shooting those kind of right. groups with some, uh, a, you know, a factory gun that may or may not do that no so. you might have gotten a monday gunsmith yeah um you know on there kind of a deal um okay. no it's it's not like that um but, but, but uh, will you do loaded workup for a factory gun if someone's got yeah, a okay absolutely okay what's what's uh, do you have a ballpark like a flat rate for that generally if guys are listening it, it depends on the caliber okay. um 308 base calibers start at 500 dollars, and it depends mm-hmm. obviously on what components if somebody is is never going to reload um then yeah their choice of brass is probably going to change, but if they're going to reload a lot, you know, their brass choice is probably going to be on the pricier side just so they can keep using it. Yep. Um, yep. Magnum start at seven fifty, okay. Um, and cool. I mean, so some people look at that like, man, you're making a fortune of that. Well, you do a 28 nozzle and your brass is yep. two fifty a piece. And I got to put 60 or 80 down it just to make sure that I'm comfortable with where it is as far as being broken in and then do low development. I mean, I'm into it, you know, yeah, couple hundred bucks before I ever start doing anything and not counting, you know, my time exactly. in, into the thing. So, um, no, I can't justify it, that it, price it, enough. It does sound steep. Cause I've had guys ask me like, like, Hey, what can, what would you charge? And, and, and I'll, like just initially got, I don't know. It had to be a few hundred bucks. And then you step back. Like, I can't do that for a few hundred bucks. Like you just can't, you're going to um, spend that much on bullets. And so, 
I mean, I it, it, when you hear the number, it sounds steep until you actually set back. Like, okay, okay, I'm gonna take a week into my time, or or after work, I'm gonna buy everything and and shoot a whole bunch of components. It adds up fast, especially like you said with the, you know, as as you caliber up as well. So, and the other part of that is so many people don't know really how to do it. They're like, Oh, I'm just going to set it at 20 off with this bullet. And that's what has to work. Um, and even if they're not doing it, maybe they are experienced. I mean, just having somebody that does that literally every single day, Mm -hmm. um, you just get an extra aspect of it. Um, I'm not saying that people can't do it on their own. People do it on their own all the time. Um, but if you think about how much time and how much money you're going to put into it to get to that point, to me, it just makes more sense to be guaranteed what it's going to do. Um, and not have had to do any of that. So you're sure. in all likelihood going to have saved money by and a lot of stress by just, you know, having stress, somebody stress yeah. is the key one. Yeah, no, for a lot of you guys out listening, obviously you guys do your own stuff. You send us tons of reloading questions, but you also know all your buddies know that you're the gun guy. And it would, if they get something just, send, you know, it'd be a good, good option to send Clay's way or something just for, if you don't want to mess with it or, or, or you need it done, like just this relieving that stress is so I'll guarantee you there's been times in just in my match career where if I could have got it to you in time or where I was jammed up on a big match, I'm like, I would happily pay you $500 to have this thing perfect for a match. So I know, I know I've been there in the last few years, just the way when I've gotten barrels back and just timing when I had matches and the way work schedule was. So no, that's, I think, I think that's cool. So you're doing, so you do that service. Um, you're doing, what's kind of ballpark pricing on like, uh, do you sell boxes of 20 for like six BR six Creed type stuff? Yeah. For that stuff, I do boxes of 20, um, for the big stuff, it's boxes of, uh, either 50 or a hundred. Um, okay. and then obviously they can order whatever quantities, but like the six GTs, Creed Moors, BR, six, five Creeds, those are in boxes of 20. Okay. Um, what's a, what's a box that like a GT go for? Uh, 37 bucks. Oh, wow. That's not bad. Is that, and then what bull is that with the, like a one Oh five hybrid type of bullet? That, that's with a one Oh five hybrid. Okay. And, uh, I, I wait sort everything before, uh, before I even get going. Um, I, wow. uh, I make sure all the necks are, you know, the exact same neck tension. I trim them all on a Jero to the thousandth. Um, I use a primal rights cedar, um, yep. and then everything is loaded to the kernel. So, I mean, it's not something that I'm just sitting here with an automated machine, just watching it spit it out. I mean, it's, that's, I'm doing each one, one at a time by hand. Yeah. So, as good as it gets. I mean, that's what any of us, that's as good as any of us are doing on our own for anything. You know, we're loading, to the kernel and i i don't think i would would do it for for that price that's a pretty fair price that's better than i thought it was going to be <laughs> so what's I, your what's your number one seller are you mostly gt or do you have a I, i'd say since the gt came out it's definitely been been the number one it was creed more uh six creed until the gt came out and i think so many people have dropped their creed mores um mm-hmm. to to try a gt and um I mean, it just, it's just worked. Um, I had a, a guy cool. that I never, never ordered from me before. He sent me a, sent me an email, I think, and, uh, asked if he could, um, if there was any different shipping options for commercial or residential or whatnot. And I, I talked to him a little bit and he ordered, um, a couple boxes, never talked to the guy in my life. Didn't really know if I talked to him again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he sent me a text saying, Hey, the ammo came in, you know, thanks, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I figured that was probably the last time I'd hear from him. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then last night he, uh, sent me a, a group that he shot and it wasn't just, you know, that he shot a good group and he wanted to send me a picture that he cherry picked it. He did the, he did it on video. He had a, 
camera on a spotting scope. He had a camera on him as he's shooting the group and he's shooting with a can. You can tell the wind is kicking and he (laughs) shoots like a, um, a, a 2.0 something inch group at 600 and something yards. Um, and, uh, just sitting there, he just stacking them and it's, it's windy. And I mean, and it's That's not awesome. like I, I did load development on this guy's gun. This is yeah. just yeah. what I send out the door every day. And it's just sitting there hammering for him. He, before, uh, he shot, um, I guess he did ask me one more question. He said, um, is the velocity on the box is that is 30, 20. Is that going to be pretty much what it's at? And I said, that's what I would run. Um, unless you're, <laughs> you know, chrono says otherwise. And, yep. uh, he sends me that and I was like, did you chrono at first? He said, no, I just plugged in 30, 20 and it's sitting in exactly <laughs> where he'd want it to. <laughs> Oh, that's crazy. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, so for you guys thinking about shooting matches, just that would get that's I know, I mean, I know Tate, a lot of you guys are uh, you know, watching Justin. Those guys are running those right in the comps. I freaking love it. So I uh, you know, I I like reloading. There's some of it, but then every once in a while I'm like, man, this is particularly when work's busy. It's like I just you, you don't have the time. It's it's a, it's a, that's a cool option. So um Plus, I love seeing little companies start up inside the sport. I think it's cool. So, what's the best way to for guys to find you, uh, the company and stuff? Um, I mean, the website is claycartridgecompany dot com. Um, it's got you know my phone number, email on there, uh, Facebook page, e- either one. I mean, people send me messages just on my personal page all the time, but I mean the the business page obviously goes to me as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. Uh, cool um i actually put my cell phone number on the on the page so i mean when people are calling i mean you know i, I never know whether it's just somebody calling just to say hey or whether it's a customer so they that's might cool. wonder why i answer the phone the way i do sometimes but <laughs> um but well, uh that's cool uh, I, I just figured i'm always gonna have it with me so i might as well just put that on there no i love it i love it right on so let's uh We'll start heading out. I won't want to keep you all night. We're already, we're already over an hour here, but what's a, what's a couple things let's talk about. I know we've talked about this and let's talk about, um, how do you balance? Um, and this has been a tough one for me is balancing the competitive spirit, um, with, with keeping a positive attitude. What are your, like, it's hard when you're at a match and you're sharing wind calls with guys that are trying to beat you that you, you don't want to beat you. So how have you, I, from the first year on for me, every year has been, been, been difficult to do that. What is, what's your process been and how are you navigating that? Cause I'm like, I'm coming up on 40 years old. You're, you're quite a bit younger than me. And so it's just different, different angles and, and times of life. Um, what kind of, what's your thought process there? How do you go about doing it's, that? It, it's so strange. It's like, you know, you're playing one-on-one with Michael Jordan. He says, Hey, my week is left. Go left. Like, yeah. like that's basically what we're doing. It's like, we're giving, like you give people exactly what they need to beat you. Yeah. Um, and that's, it, it's kind of strange. I mean, I wish we shot matches where there was no Maybe wind talking tops. at all. Um, yeah. I think that, I think that'd be cool if we did that at every match, but, it. uh, um, I mean, if somebody asks me for a wind call, I'm going to give it every time. If somebody, I'm never going to give the wrong wind call just because someone's right there with me or beating me or whatever it is. Like, I'm just, that's not what I'm going to do. If they can take my information and take better shots than me, then, you know, power to them. I mean, I, again, I wish it was different and we could shoot yep. just our own matches, but I'm never going to give the wrong information. Um, yep. and, but as far as the attitude thing goes, it's a lot of people don't understand. Like we don't, f- necessarily feel like we're competing against each other. It's 
competing against ourselves. So if I, you know, drop a, a point or two on a, you know, a barricade that I feel like is easy and I'm frustrated about it and they're like, how are you shooting? I'm like, well, like crap. Um, yes, yes. And like, well, how many are you down? Well, you know, I just dropped two there and they're like, well, so how many are you down? Well, two. Yeah. Um, like that's how many I'm down on the day. And like, well, you're killing it then. I'm like, well, no, I, I, I feel like I'm shooting. Those two. I shouldn't have dropped those two. Um, and so people I do that all the time. I, people take that, I think very negatively and I can understand their perspective on that. Like it's the, I don't mean to insult them. Maybe they're shooting the best match of their life and they're down, you know, 10 or 15 at that point. Um, yeah but I'm not trying to compare like how I'm shooting to them or to how anyone else is doing. I'm just going off. I know, you know, what kind of shots I can take, what I can hit. And that's what I'm going off of. And if Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm shooting a a good match, I'm probably absolutely burning it down. Um, but all I'm doing is just going off of how I think I should be shooting. And I think that it's really easy to offend people when you, when you do that, because it's just different mindsets. And that's, I don't, I'm sure you've probably done it too, but it's oh, yeah. you know nothing that I've ever been to do to offend somebody. Um, yeah. it's just, I'm just talking to how I'm, you know, what I'm actually feeling. I feel like I'm not shooting that well because I dropped shots that I should not have. <laughs> um, it doesn't mean that I'm not still shooting, you know, for the course of fire or the field or whatever, that I'm not still shooting. Well, it's just, yeah. For what I expect, that's not what I wanted. No, it's the same thing. I think we have, I think we all have unrealistic expectations. And I think that's what drives you to be is try to be the best you can. Like I want to hit, I don't like ever missing even, I don't care. Like I always, I hate it, but it's, I do the exact same thing. I'm not shooting very good. And you, Cause you know exactly what you said, you know, the shots that you should hit or, you know, if you had, if you shot those shots 10 times, you'd hit them you'd hit them nine or 10 times every time. And then you get a, you get a seven or an eight or something. And it's just, you know that you're leaving stuff on the table and it's frustrating, but no, that's good. That's good. So what's, uh, any, uh, I'll let you go eat dinner. I want to go eat dinner too, but <laughs> any, uh, any, any shout outs or, or, or thoughts or, or what about a What about a, let's see, tip for, let's give some advice on, uh, uh, like some newer guys getting into it one you got to get out there what do you think what do you think the best way or the easiest way to get to get into this sport since you you're only a few years deep and and burning it down so what was what was the things that you think accelerated your position like it has that maybe we haven't already talked about (laughs) um i mean it happens all across the country national matches but it absolutely happens at the club level too there'll be a club match at this place and at this place on two different weekends and people mm-hmm. choose the one that feels easier because they want that feeling of oh i gotta win but you're going to be much better off just going and facing the competition learning from the people that are that are better than you mm-hmm. ask questions when you can but just don't be afraid of the competition like those are the people that you want to be shoot- the people that are better than you are the people that you want to be shooting with that's yeah. that's where you're going to learn if you go out and mop the floor with everybody you didn't probably learn a whole lot so um don't be one. afraid to lose just you know get out there that's a good tip that's a good tip. Yeah. And listen to guys and, and ask questions. Like we're all, especially at a club, like you're at a club match or something. If we can go ask, ask any of anybody you think that can, ha- that's, that's good or you can learn something and watch them and, and ask them a couple questions. So I think that, you know, people taking a class as well can mm-hmm. just absolutely. Cause you just, some of it seems basic on the surface, but you don't know what you don't know. And yeah. that's such a simple thing to, to say, but I've, 
had, I'm sure you've had it too, but I've had so many people that have taught mm-hmm. and like, wow, I never thought about it that way. Yep. And it yep. seems like to us, like it, it might seem like a very simple thing, but to them, they've never thought about it that way before. And it's game changing. I mean, mm-hmm. I, a guy that Justin did a class with, um, not very long ago had, uh, I think his best finish was around 50th, something like that. He mm-hmm. did a class with Justin and the next match he got, I think he was sitting in second after day one. I think he finished right around 10th, whatever it was. I mean, sometimes it's just something very like little. And if it's just like, you wouldn't go, you know, play basketball without a coach telling you, Hey, do this with your shot, do that Mm -hmm. with your shot. Like it's, it's good to have somebody else's perspective to help you you with what, what you're not doing. Right. That's good. That's good. Yeah. There's, there's so much. I just, it's fun to watch the sport grow. It just seems like it's blowing up the last few years. It's fun to be a part of it. So it's been fun getting to know people like you. There's people all over the country now. I call the other day I called you and I had some goofy security questions because you used to do security camera stuff. So we just, it's fun that you meet people from all, all walks of life. Um, all ages, skill levels, just a, it's just an awesome community. So if you guys are thinking about coming out, come check it out. If you see Clay at a range, say hi. He's the he's the reigning champion at the moment. If I, we might not have a 2020 season, so he might get two years of being a champion. So <laughs> at least at least two at least two. <laughs> anyway man i i appreciate you coming on here we'll we'll wrap this one up for now i'm sure we'll do another one in the future but um if you guys want to check him out he's find him on are you what are you on instagram just your personal uh i don't have a personal i just have the business page business on instagram and then you're on facebook and then and then clay's cartridge company on on instagram and facebook and then also uh dot com so check him out if you if you need some ammo um and say hi to him at a match so anyway I appreciate you coming on, buddy. Thanks for your time. It was fun. Yep. Cool. Have a good time. Have a good one. Yep. Bye.